passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome, everybody, to our AEW Double or Nothing post-show. I'm John Pollock with Wei Ting on a Sunday night, minutes after Double or Nothing concluded at Daly's Place in Jacksonville. How are you, Wei? I'm doing all right, John. You know, um, we just went through our first full North American crowd wrestling pay-per-view in a long, long time. How how did you feel? Uh the crowd was awesome. The crowd was great, I would say, for pretty much... I, I would say they were the biggest part of the, the show tonight, and I think that that definitely affected me for the last match of the show, that I wanted the crowd to be part of uh, of that main event. I, I, I have lived through enough... Like the, the, We'll get into it. I'm... I don't think we need any more cinematic matches, and that's not like a slight on tonight's match, but now that crowds are back, that's what I wanted tonight. That's what I wanted for the biggest match on the show, and you know, we'll, we will get into it, but uh, I certainly felt like that was a, a, certainly a curious choice that after three and a half hours, that crowd had to sit through 25 more minutes. It really is uncharted territory in, you know, in, in, in them choosing to do this after a full year of not having crowds, having a crowd back and deciding to do this type of match. Um, I thought it was probably worth a gamble because of the goodwill that you've already built with last year's stadium stampede. It is an attraction. And I think going into this pay-per-view, there's no doubt what people were looking forward to the most. So in that sense, I thought it was successful. In execution, I think what they attempted was a big unknown. And we will discuss how effective it was in execution. You, you do have to look at it. Like the debate will be you had blood and guts and you had stadium stampede. Now, while I can say tonight you may have wanted the crowd to be live for the main event. And if you were someone that wanted to buy a ticket to the show, like what is more attractive to you? I will say I'm pretty confident, though, that stadium stampede is probably going to be the bigger factor for a pay-per-view buyer. Like that was a really well-received show last year. So I can certainly see that thinking that Stadium Stampede was this big success for us last year. And this year we have a big feud and it's, it means more on pay-per-view than say Blood and Guts does that doesn't have any track record with us. It's true. It's debatable. Um, And, you know, but in the end, ultimately what matters is, hey, how much did this pay-per-view do? And uh, that's, I'm sure, going to be a talking point in the weeks to come. But before we get into the review, John, maybe just a quick tee-up of what's to come. Because this is the end of the month, which means on Tuesday, it is June the 1st and the best time 
to sign up for the Post Wrestling Cafe. Show your support for Post Wrestling and get a bunch of bonus podcasts to go along with it as well. This month is the return of the MCU Later podcast with me and WH talking about Loki. As well, we'll have weekly editions, of course, of Friday Night Smackdown reviews, uh, Rewind Away, Ask Away, maybe even a New Japan review here and there if those shows actually do end up happening. But uh, Post Wrestling Cafe. And if you're a Double Double Plus patron, live access Monday and Tuesdays and on pay-per-view nights. So hello to everybody who's a Double Double Plus member joining us tonight in Zoom. Yeah, so jump on board. The first of the month is always the, uh, the best time to, uh, to sign up. Get, get your most bang for your buck. So let's get into tonight's uh, pay-per-view, starting with the buy-in. And first of all, we had a crowd that uh, apparently either was just at or a little over 5,000 people. So, you know, they, they sold a bunch of tickets over the last couple of days. And this was a crowd that was, I mean, this was Friday times 20. If it wasn't a complete sellout, I mean, you wouldn't have been able to tell the difference. Seeing these wide shots at the beginning of this broadcast were spectacular, really, because it's been a year plus since we've seen a scene like this. Uh, really, anywhere in the in the world, I suppose, when it comes to professional wrestling, you know, no, like we've had "quote unquote" maybe sold out crowds, but uh, you know, without uh, physical distancing, without uh, social distancing. Um, you don't get sort of this like big wide view of these packed audiences. Um, so that's what we had tonight. And they absolutely sounded that way. Yeah. I mean, right from the jump, uh, the first person out was Riho and they just went insane for her. Um, and we get Serena Deeb and Riho for the NWA women's championship. Serena Deeb, the woman of a thousand holds. They also note that Rio is making the full-time move to the United States, so should be a permanent, you know, fixture on television moving forward. Um, Serena Deeb was both women were tremendous in this match. Deeb really established herself as the heel just through her antics, the cocky demeanor, and going after Rio's knee. And no matter what momentum Rio would get. Deeb would cut her off and go back to the knee. Rio would get ambitious, doing a, a double foot stomp, and then. Uh, affecting the knee it just always went back to it Deeb uh, used a dragon screw and then later used a double dragon screw which we don't see too often uh, Rio made her come back with a dragon suplex was caught into a half crab they did uh, more near falls than you would expect this was hardly treated like a pre-show match to just warm up the crowd like they were going full out here and eventually uh after a European clutch by Riho, Deeb gets control of the knee, drills it repeatedly to the mat, and gets the serenity lock for the submission at 14 minutes and 5 seconds. Uh, at the beginning, I was thinking, wow, this is the greatest start you could possibly imagine to a show. This was like full 4-plus star starting match on the buy-in. This was excellent. Totally excellent. You know, and for a match that was just announced this week, I... I really didn't have too many expectations for it, but seeing this in combination with this crowd salivating at anything at this point after a, like I don't know if there's a better spot to be in than these two on this a body. Was a very, this is a very advantageous spot. Yes. Oh my god! And but the work both, the work was great. Like this was the work was great on top of it. But they both came out feeling like superstars, judging by just this reaction. But the work on top of it was really what made it because I thought Serena Deeb was. Absolutely tremendous here. Her command of the audience as she led them through the match with her heel antics, I thought 
all worked. Great looking transitions through her submissions. She really felt like a general here. Very confident, very well-rounded, and very high level. Riho, tremendous as well. Great selling. Crowd, totally with all of her comebacks. Uh, you can really tell she's been missed, you know, and I think with her move to the U.S., definitely looking forward to her having a bigger role. Um, you know, like, it's it's an- another time to just say, hey, over the past year, AEW has added people like Serena Deeb. We've seen Thunder Rosa, Riho returning. And with, like, the, you know, increase in value in people like Hikaru Shida and Britt Baker, you really, it really is time to kind of rip that label of AEW's women's division being lacking at this point. You know, they have some very strong people, and, you know, it's now we just await the storylines. Deeb is uh, 34 years old. She's about to be 35. And it was like she was hired by WWE in 2018 to be a coach. Wow. Wow. 34. It's that yoga, isn't it? Well, I mean, like, Jesus Christ. This is like one of the top females in North America right now. Like, top yeah. top tier for me. It was a tremendous, tremendous match to start things off. Uh, and this crowd is just going haywire here at, at the beginning. Jim Ross joins the commentary of Tony Schiavone and Excalibur. And we they go showed into... some uh, highlights from the Fan Fest from yesterday. That's right. Yes. The Fan Fest went down on Saturday. Uh, so they had highlights of that. Um, I, I read some accounts that like this was tremendously well run. I mean, they had plexiglass partitions for the for the meet and greets. Um, I mean, it, this you would assume would probably take the place of... Um, what is it? Starcast. Whenever they do one of these, that's right. Yeah, um, this is something certainly for pay per view weekends, especially when you are going to have. It appears, you know, for All Out in September with full gear in November, they're going with Sunday night pay per views. And sorry, was full gear in November? Was that announced for? Yes, it was. It uh, was St. a Louis. Sunday. Yeah, St. Oh, Louis, but it was November. a Sunday. Well, November six, whatever that is. All right. Well. Anyway, you're going to have the the Friday Saturday. night. Oh, it is a Saturday. So in that case, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, you're still doing like the word is that they will do the Friday night show on pay-per-view weekends. You still have that Saturday of all these people that are going to travel that can go to a show Friday. And then you have Saturday that you can do these fan fests, uh, even if it's the day of the pay-per-view or day before a pay-per-view, whichever you're you're going to be doing. So the pay-per-view portion kicked off with Brian Cage and Hangman Page uh, with no Team Taz, but Taz was on commentary for the match. And it's all Cage from the start. He's destroying Page's back. Page would uh, fight back, hit a moonsault to the floor. There was a very impressive sequence where Page went for a top rope Hurricane Rana. Brian Cage blocked it. And you thought he was going to counter it with a power bomb off the turnbuckle. But then in midair, Paige countered it to finish his Hurricane Rana. And with, with the size of these two pulling this off, it was pretty seamless and looked fantastic. Cage did a deadlift uh, suplexing Paige onto the ramp uh, that was set up there. And then we have the two just going to the next gear. They're doing each other's finishers. We have Cage going for a buckshot lariat, but stumbles and Paige hits him with the F5. Then Paige kicks out of a spinning Liger bomb. Ricky Starks and Hook are out. And Starks passes Cage the FTW title. Cage throws it back to the floor. He does not want their help. And with Cage distracted by Hook, he turns around and is hit with the buckshot lariat. Paige gets the win as Taz yells, Son of a bitch! At 12 minutes and 3 seconds. Uh, First of all, John, great job with the Cage and Paige. I'm I'm sure it wasn't easy uh, navigating it, but you did a great job with the recap. Uh, tremendous match. 
crowd was so into Paige. He is a great leadoff hitter on these pay-per-views. This was the perfect style of match to open the pay-per-view with. This crowd wanted to just go nuts, and they gave you a match to go nuts for. And and get a big babyface win uh, off the top here with Hangman Page that they explained. He has one loss this year, and now he's avenged it against Brian Cage, and this should get him back into the championship picture. Back on course for a title challenge, you could assume maybe as soon as um uh, all in, all out you know uh good finish here i think it continues cage's slow build to his baby face turn and you know again crowd was amazing through this entire thing yeah and they focused on team taz after because cage argued with starks and hook starks is pointing to his neck you can't do anything to me and cage just shoves hook and storms off don't be yeah. screwing around with hook He's a secret sauce, I think, yeah. to the whole thing. Just so you see. All right, then it was time for the AEW Tag Team Championship. The Young Bucks against John Moxley and Eddie Kingston. And Wild Thing plays and outcome Moxley and Kingston for like this this to me was every bit um one of like the Sandman's best entrances. They're coming through this crowd, they're going insane. John Moxley's wearing a Trent Acid t shirt. Um, it was just a spectacular, spectacular entrance. And then that's offset by the Young Bucks who come out. And Nick Jackson has now grown out a dark beard with like this auburn colored hair. I mean this in the nicest possible way. I don't. He looks like such a dirtbag. It's so perfect. He looks like such a piece of garbage. It looks awfully great. I don't know how he thought about this. I don't know like what inspiration he's going after, but it is, I think, the exact type of tone that um, he, you know... You, you want to hate this for, guy by just looking at him. Like, it's like, the perfect look for this group. Yeah, like, I think it's a challenge to try to boo the Young Bucks, especially with their style, but I think uh, looking like this is is a good way to start. Uh, it, I would never imagine a man looking like that uh, to own the Jordan collection that they have. So Don Callis is on commentary. They brawl all over the floor before the match even begins. And and then um, Moxley and Kingston take out Brandon Cutler with the violent crown, uh, getting rid of him. Uh, this crowd is just so into these four. They're probably getting this match way earlier in the card than they anticipated. And it's electric from the start. Uh, Matt is working over Eddie Kingston and does his mock hot tag and is doing all the the babyface mannerisms uh channeling his hulk hogan mannerisms as well which here in jacksonville easy heat because they're gonna certainly boo hulk hogan um kingston would just fight back and he's selling the knee and there's nobody that that sells a knee injury quite like eddie kingston like this man it's the equivalent like he's been shot and he's got to gut his way through this match that was the level of his selling carl anderson comes out to distract Gallows tries to sneak up to the ring and Kingston dives off the apron and then Frankie Kazarian jumps Carl Anderson and the place goes nuts and he gets rid of Carl Anderson while Rick Knox is distracted by all of this Matt Jackson uses the aerosol spray into Moxley's eyes and smashes it in his forehead so now Moxley is just progressively bleeding more and more out of this forehead uh, they hit an indie taker to Moxley on the ramp. Then the Bucks do the shield fist bump and go for the shield power bomb, but Moxley cuts them off 
and the place explodes as he gets to the corner and tags Eddie Kingston. Like when we say hot tag, this arena just lit a, a fuse and exploded. Uh, later, Mox was in. He stopped more, more bang for your buck. Um, Nick grabbed Moxley to stop the violent crown. And then the Mo- Moxley grabs the, the Nike uh, Dior's and hits the Dior's Day device where he comes off the top. It's a doomsday device, but he's holding a shoe. Um, Brutal pun, but you know what? It worked. Moxley hits a paradigm shift. Matt makes the save. There's super kicks to Moxley. Kingston is dead at this point. Uh, after the Bucks super kick his injured knee and he just can't go on. Moxley is left on his own. They set up for the BTE trigger and go for it. And Moxley doesn't go down from it. So they hit several more as Moxley is then done. In 21 minutes and one second, the Bucks retain the AEW Tag Team Championships. I thought this match was off the charts. Great. I think this is like an all-time classic tag match. I love this. Wow. I thought it was really good. I don't know if I feel like it was that good on that level, but um, I wouldn't disagree with you if, if you felt that way. Uh, certainly in terms of personalities here, uh, the crowd saw all of these four as main eventers, and that includes Eddie Kingston, which it really warmed my heart to like hear the crowd chant, Eddie, 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 to a guy who was near retirement, about to get out of the business before this whole thing happened. So, you know, we had known that he was uh, really beloved, I would say, you know, just judging by online reaction. But to see live reaction like this, at this volume for the first time for this guy on this stage, I mean, it was confirmation and just like, kind of like, you know, reminds you how close he was to not having any of this. So that moment of him just coming in for some of those hot tags, I just thought was just awesome. Um, I thought Mox and Kingston together are a very effective babyface tag team. They're very much able to draw sympathy for every one of those hot tags. And really, the entire match was really, really hot. I was actually quite surprised by, you know, a pretty definitive finish here, especially because they're, they're usually so protective of Mox. You would think that Kingston would be the one to get pinned, but it was Mox. Kingston's selling was phenomenal. I thought Moxley was like the greatest babyface in the world. The Bucks were just fantastic heels. Everything I thought was just flawless in this. The crowd was with this for the entire 21 minutes. Uh, the run-ins worked. Um, that was a great spot with Frankie Kazarian. Um, just the drama of this throughout. Um, I like just like, here's Kingston. He just can't save his best friend and moxley ends up taking the bullets here uh from the bullet club members and they go down um you know you look at you know i would say the high mark for uh aew tag matches is that bucks match with omega and page last year um this to me is right in that ballpark i i really love this match and Absolutely. by the start of this, I'm expecting, like, this This could be the best show of the year, clearly, by a la- after these first three matches. I was on a pretty big high at this point. Like, this is, like, this is going to be show of the year. Yeah, maybe even the best start to an AEW. This was a pretty incredible start, these three matches. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the crowd, the crowd played a huge part in all of this. Um the Casino Battle Royale followed that, and there were some injuries. QT Marshall and The Blade were out, and replacing them would be Aaron Solo and Serpentico. Paul White came out for commentary. Um, 
I can't say Paul White really um, stood out for me. We had a lot of guest commentators on this show, and I have not watched too much Elevation. Um, you know, he was he was fine, but not not to me any significant degree. I thought it was like effective use of like the guest commentary spot throughout the the show. You know, they had Taz out there for a Brian Cage match, and then you had Callis for the Bucks match, and then Paul White here. I think it was just maybe a chance to give him some presence on the yeah. pay per view. I, I didn't mind having him there. I'm just saying the actual. You know, as as a commentator, um, how how much can you really be a strategist when it comes to like you know a battle royal battle royals? He had some good lines. He's like, oh, he's, he really has to uh, put him on the defensive. You know, like it was shit like that. But like, it's it's, it's also it's, very hard where you have four voices. It's like where do you kind of carve out your time? It it is much much more difficult than even the three man. So the way these casino like, really the big shows. Like strategy has always just been be big, you know. It's it's hardly something you could really teach someone else. So it's uh, four groups of five that would come in every three minutes, and then we had the Joker mystery entrance. So the first uh, group, the clubs, was Christian Cage, Matt Seidel, Powerhouse Hobbs, Dustin Rhodes, and Max Caster, who was out so he could do his rap, uh, which included Christian Cage being cooler when he had an edge. That he caught Matt Seidel slipping. And then, if any children are listening, please put your <laughs> put your hands over your ears. He told Dustin Rhodes, you're so ugly, you should paint your whole face. <laughs> I think he had, um, the best lines were off the top. And then it just kind of ran out of steam. And, um, you know, it was... It was all right. First yeah, two were they, they got they got the desired effect, and then the last one, it's like he's he was also like Dustin, look at me, Dustin, look at me. He had to like literally get him to look at him several times, it's like oh, he's got something big here. You're so ugly, you should paint your whole face. <laughs> Seidel was the. I'm not gonna go through all, all these eliminations, but um, you know there was. I, I thought for the pacing of this battle royal, they. They earmarked like the clear people that you were supposed to focus on, and then the others were kind of just there to be um, eliminations, quick, fast eliminations. The next suit had Matt Hardy, Preston Vance, Nick Camaroto, Serpentico, and Isaiah Cassidy. Uh, Serpentico's night ended in about three seconds. Um, there were ten chants. I was surprised. There were, he was he was over to this crowd, which is mm-hmm. really. That's going to be very interesting with our return to crowds is that a lot of these acts on AEW, um, such as a Preston Vance, like they were not pushed characters when they had crowds. So this is all through the pandemic of what they've watched and had, you know, not true reactions when you have the wrestlers as the dominant reactions at shows. I mean, obviously, he made a great impression, you know, for that big match he had uh, that one one show and. You know, and I guess the Brody Lee tribute show as well. Um, yep. So, and that stays with him, and it, it's paid off here. Camaroto uh, was eliminated by Dustin Rhodes, and then Camaroto returned with the cowbell, uh, which is going to pay off for Friday's Dynamite with a, uh, um, what what do they call it? A, a bull rope match, something like that. Yeah. Hardy is uh, stalling, and then he's finally in. The next suit is the. Varsity Blondes, Colt Cabana, who was out in a Brody Lee jacket, Anthony Bowens, and Penta, who got an enormous reaction and probably the best gear of the whole night. He came out in Joker gear. Uh, In terms of star power, he was like, you know, definitely, I think you would consider like a main eventer. 
he got an enormous, yeah, main event level reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, big Brian Pillman chant. That was notable that they mm-hmm. they noted. And then the final suit was Jungle Boy, who, I mean, that theme is going to be a big hit now that people are back. Mark Quinn, Aaron Solo, Evil Uno, and Lee Johnson. And Private Party eliminates Pillman. And then Solo and Johnson are gone within seconds. And I was a little surprised Lee Johnson got that treatment of being out like in 10 seconds. He was there very brief. Um, Jungle Boy hit a flying Rana sending Penta out. And Powerhouse Hobbs and Cage had been out on the floor and you had kind of forgotten about them. And then they return. The Joker entrant is revealed to be Leo Rush. And he came in and I guess he was told, you're going to have to rush, Leo. And he was given like two minutes to work with Isaiah Cassidy. And it was spectacular. This guy moved at lightning speed and had a guy in Isaiah Cassidy who fed for him so well. Um, but Quentin that was, was, yeah, he worked with yeah, Mark too. Yeah, uh, Quinn was, yeah, they did the double team stuff as well with the silly string, and that would set up the elimination. But we've got Leo Rush, Matt Hardy, Private Party, Jungle Boy, and Christian Cage as the final six. Um, so Rush tries to prevent Private Party from hitting silly string, but gets caught, and then Hardy gets knocked out, or sorry, Hardy knocks out Leo Rush. Uh, so that was the elimination of Leo Rush. Not in there long, uh, but he did have the sequence with, with Private Party that was notable. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and I don't know. I haven't been on Twitter, so I don't know what the public reaction was like to seeing Leo Rush being the Joker. But I, I think people, you know, like expecting a Daniel Bryan. Um, I, I think that's too much. Why would you like, debut him in this kind of a role? In the battle royal? I mean, please. it would make sense, okay, if you're going to win this and go to a title match, sure. But it's like that's just. Like up here, right? Like temper your expect, curb your enthusiasm a little bit, everybody. And I think Leo Rush is a perfectly cr- pr- fine surprise to be in this role. He came out and just like you know hit his like Super Saiyan level crazy sequence with Private Party. Unfortunately, when he went to do the stuff with Matt Hardy, it didn't turn out so well. You know, he, he tried to do that like little springboard cutter thing, didn't work out the first time, and when he did actually do it the next time, didn't really connect. So. But it doesn't matter. Like ultimately, like Matt Seidel did that whole thing, slipped on the on, on a shooting star press. And I think he's pretty much where he would you would expect him to be today. So I think Leo Rush like fits perfectly in this system, in this style, and I look forward to seeing him, you know, throughout the uh, the year. Jungle Boy and Cage dumped out Private Party, and then Matt Hardy tries to form an alliance with Christian against Jungle Boy. Instead, Cage tosses Hardy out. So we've got Christian and Jungle Boy for the final few minutes. This was definitely the strength of this particular match. They got to go several minutes together uh, with the veteran versus the, the young rising star. And Jungle Boy is taking the fight to him. And they get onto the edge of the apron. And they did some real cool stuff on the edge, including uh, Jungle Boy swinging around the post, landing on the other side of the ring. Cage runs at him and then gets back body drop to the floor. So Jungle Boy wins in 23 minutes and 29 seconds. Um, I have not really enjoyed these casino battle royales pretty pretty consistently. I thought that this one, I thought this one had a lot more positive moments because they, they didn't try and get 21 people over. They had a few ideas for people and the main one being this comes down to the last couple of minutes and this is jungle boys, big moment. So I think as a whole, you have to grade this as a positive because you've got, this is a big win for jungle boy. And that was the goal of this. You could argue it it did go long, but 
a match of this structure, it's it's going to go long. I think you gauge the, the success of these battle royals with you know whether or not you can come out of them with an elevated perception of one or two or three people. And I thought they absolutely did that with Jungle Boy. I would say they did that, you know, to a pretty good deal with Christian as well, who up until this point, I mean, this was kind of his first big thing that he he was able to do on a pay-per-view. But Jungle Boy especially, I would say that about, you know, Penta got a good reaction. Um, Leo Rush too, you know, like... He kind of at least, you know, it was a good way to introduce a new character like him. And beyond that, like, it was a pretty entertaining battle royal overall that I thought, you know, at at the very least gave you good entrances for everybody. Like, we're at the point now where in AEW, anybody who can enter one of these things, at least we have some sense of who they are. Like, your average AEW fan will be able to say, oh, that's Brian Pillman Jr. Or that's Max Caster. People are recognizable now, which... You know, is um, yeah, I guess a, a sign of a good sign of things to come. Yeah, and they and they set up some stuff in here like Cage and Hobbs. That's obviously going to be a match. Cage eliminated Hobbs in this. You've got uh, you'll probably get Christian against Matt Hardy at some point as as well, uh, teasing out of that. And then the big one will be Jungle Boy challenging for the title, which is going to come in two weeks on television. Uh, Cage then congratulated Jungle Boy and told him to go win the AEW championship. I don't know if that's going to happen, but he, he gave him the big endorsement and put over Jungle Boy. So, you know, it was it was a big, big crowning moment for Jungle Boy. Kenny versus Jungle Boy. Yeah, that'll be that'll be a hell of a match uh, mm-hmm. in two weeks. Then Anthony Agogo versus Cody Rhodes. I thought that they were running a Cody Rhodes video package for this match, but it turned out it was a video package for the, for the armed services. I mean, yeah, it was for Memorial day, like that, that type of thing, you know, but that, that essentially was a Cody package because Cody's storyline is I embody America. Well, um, I, I thought like the silhouette in the <laughs> package was oh, going to turn out to be Cody. Cody. I thought it was like directly playing up like with the shots of like the different military members and everything like that. Um, but I mean, it was also strategically placed as the lead in for this match. Um, and Cody comes out and he's got Arn with him. He's got his old non Snoop Dogg version of his theme. They've added some strings to it. So it's a slight remix, but I think people are happy to. Be rid of the Snoop version. So it's Cody Rhodes, Anthony Agogo. This is Anthony Agogo's fourth professional wrestling match. He has had three now in AEW, and he did one like two years ago. So that is that is what you are grading this on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, with that knowledge, I think you have to come away very impressed with Anthony Agogo. Mm-hmm. That said, I can also see people believing that, you know, it's putting someone on a pay-per-view like that, that you are putting them in a situation where they are going to be graded as harsh as everybody else. Like this Mm -hmm. is, you're paying for this show. You're asking people to pay for this. And therefore like I'm viewing this with the same standard. I would any other match on this pay-per-view. Well, you and I are grading this match like that, knowing that this is this man's fourth professional wrestling match. Um, You know, the people listening to this might be doing the same, but let's say somebody who only watches dynamite, but doesn't listen to the podcast or anything else. They go into this watching a big Cody Rhodes match. 
Um, did they leave this match impressed with Anthony Anthony Gogo the same way? I'm not really sure, but I would say that might even be not so much the story here as much as you know it was that to me this was the turning point of where the crowd flipped on this show. Uh, they, they definitely came down here uh, at this point in in the middle of the show, um, which is not that I, I would not say that, that this crowd w- was dead. It was just they were at a really high point and th- and this brought things down um, immediately. Rhodes tries to take a go-go's arm and the idea is don't allow him to fire off his shots and Cody's a better wrestler and can take him to the ground. But he ends up getting hit with the body shot in the first minute and an Olympic slam that Rhodes kicks out of. But then Rhodes works on a go-go shoulder and I thought a go-go, you know, for a guy, again, with this experience level, his, his selling of the shoulder was very good for what, what, what he was doing here. Uh, Rhodes got sucker punched by QT Marshall, and that led to Arn running after him with a chair. Uh, a go-go gets cut on his forehead and then hit by a Cody cutter. And Rhodes tries for the crossroads. It's stopped. And again, he goes to, to the body of Cody before hitting an uppercut. And Cody lands under the bottom rope. Thus, he can't go for a pinfall. A go-go tries for his finisher, the governor's hammer. And it's stopped when Rhodes attacks the shoulder and hits his Din's Fire, the vertebraker, pinning a go-go in 10 minutes and 55 seconds. I thought it was a disappointing match, you know. Um, and again, I don't think you put that on a go-go because knowing the limited amount of experience that this man had, I, th- I thought this was way more than you would expect for somebody like him. And I thought he actually did really well. Technically, I didn't think there was anything wrong with the match, but ultimately with the crowds back, you judge these matches now again by crowd reaction. And I thought there were several dead moments in this match. They laid out the match for some big moments that just simply did not connect, did not get the reaction that I thought they were looking for with the crowd. And I have to chalk that up to the story. I have to chalk that up to the characters. You know, there is a lot of awkwardness about this entire thing number one i just don't think the patriotism thing it came out it it can work obviously still you know in 2021 but i thought it was so forced into this storyline that this crowd simply did not take you had some small usa chants here and there but it was just it, it they they came up and then they died right away um and on top of that you have anthony ogogo who is a tremendously ineffective heel because he is such prime like raw material for a baby face look at the man's story coming out of this you know he's like he's 78 percent blind in one eye he's got a broken rib he gets cut in his head like he is barely like you you want to cheer for this man and i i would say if there's a what to be a big reason for the lack of reaction maybe a part of it it's the, is the match but i think predominantly it's the story yeah i thought that this was um I, I would agree with that. I don't think people really got into the story of this. Um, and I, I think you kind of just leaned into that. And I think they were just expecting that it was going to be, you know, I, I go back several years ago. It's like, if you think the idea of like the patriotic baby face is not effective. Like if you remember when Rusev was still doing like, was still like a pretty protected heel and they put Jack Swagger against him. As like the all-American babyface. And dude, Jack Swagger was just nothing at this point. And my God, did some of these crowds just get so into it at the time. So it can definitely work. Um, 
it didn't hear. Um, you know, going 11 minutes, like Anthony Agogo, I was, you know, his selling is, I think, way beyond where 99% of people after four matches are at. Uh, he does not have like that heel presence, that confidence that only is going to come with experience. Like this guy is here in front of 5,000 people on a pay-per-view in his fourth match. And I, I think that certainly came through watching the match as well. It was throwing a guy into the deep end on a pay-per-view and that's going to have its its limitations in a match but this was also the point where where the crowd did kind of you know dial it down but would come back so it wasn't like this was a, a deflating match but this was um the beginning of i would say like two to three matches that the crowd was definitely down mm-hmm so after that, we go to Miro and Lance Archer for the TNT Championship. And and I would say this this followed that pattern. Like, nothing wrong with this match. I thought it was, you know, exactly what you would want out of this. But it was kind of what, what the audience was. I, I think the audience as well is kind of looking at this card. And we've got another, like, five, six matches to go. And we're going to take a breather here because the bigs, there's a lot still to come. And this... You know, if you don't give fans an intermission, they typically create their own intermission at times. And, you know, it was, again, it was a fine match. They started off really intense. They were brawling all over the floor. And then Miro is setting up in the corner when Jake Roberts, on his birthday, comes out with a bag. And we're supposed to believe that there's a snake inside the bag. So Miro drags Jake into the ring, takes the bag, and he launches the bag to the entrance. Never did we get the announcers with any kind of an update. You, the viewer, were left with the idea that this man murdered an animal on a live pay-per-view. Well, I mean, that's heel heat, isn't it? I guess so. I guess so. And uh, Miro then goes to take out Jake, but he's stopped by a choke slam. Miro avoids the blackout, attacks Archer with leg kicks, and then Miro kicks the rope into Archer's groin, Thrust kick, game over is applied. He drills knees to the back of Archer, and the announcers are quick to point out that Archer had significant back surgery several years ago, and uh, Miro leans back in the submission at 949. Uh, A pretty strong win to retain the TNT Championship. So I had no complaints about this match, but it was one that at the end of the night is probably not one that's going to uh, be at the top of your memory. You know, if we were talking about, like, pandemic crowd, uh, audio, like, fake and added over top of this, I think I would have greatly enjoyed this. But obviously, I prefer having organic crowds. And with organic crowds comes matches that will occasionally not be perceived that well because for whatever reason, the crowd is just not into it. I don't know what exactly it was for this one. I don't know if it was because of the last match or maybe the fact that, you know, Miro and Archer's feud simply isn't that hot. Like, these two were just kind of, I have to say, put together without any real grudge. I mean, it's Archer saying, ah, I want to fight Miro. I want to fight Miro. And that's really it. Nothing all that personal. Uh, Maybe just not hot enough to follow, you know, that that Cody Ogoko match. So, could be that. But for whatever reason, they did not deem this one, I guess, you know, mm, good enough to, to go crazy. They made the announcement all out Sunday, September 5th in Chicago. Uh, but did not announce what venue it will be at. You would assume the Sears place? Sears Sears Center? Center? Yeah. 
you would think, right? Yeah, but, uh, you, but you have I, you have uh, multiple options. They ran, you know, they, they've run different parts of, um, you know, they went uh, where they went to Revolution last year was like a different part of Chicago, uh, which Sears Center isn't technically Chicago, but you know, Chicago adjacent. So that will be Labor Day or the day before Labor Day, Labor Day weekend. Hikaru Shida, Britt Baker for the AEW Women's Championship. And they start off immediately with each attempting uh, their big move, the lockjaw and the tamashi, and they were avoided. And this seemed to, you know, the crowd definitely were, I think, much more invested in this match. And by the time the match really got rolling, I think they totally brought the crowd back, back into things. Uh, they got a good amount of time here. Uh, Rebel passed over the glove to Baker, but Sheeta was rolling away. So there were constant attempts at the lockjaw. Uh, Baker missed with a stomp, and then Sheeta's going for the stretch muffler on several occasions and kicked out of an air raid crash. The uh, Baker tries for the lockjaw and then switches positions to apply it to try and outsmart Sheeta. Uh, Sheeta then had Baker on her shoulders while climbing the turnbuckle and then lost Baker and kind of had to readjust. That was kind of the only kind of a hiccup here that that they had. Uh, Rebel then used the crutch, missing Sheeta and nailing Baker by mistake. That set up a really big near fall. And Paul Turner ejects Rebel. Baker then super kicks the title belt into Sheeta, followed by a curb stomp on the title. Everyone bit on this for the finish, but Sheeta kicks out, and the crowd was going nuts at this point. Sheeta hits the Tomashi. Baker kicks out of the big finisher, and then Baker. Kicks out, transitions to a cru- from a crucifix to the lockjaw, and when Sheeta tapped, this was th- this might have been the biggest uh, reaction on the show. They went insane when Baker won the title. Uh, Seventeen minutes, eighteen seconds, and then as Baker has the championship and is walking up the ramp, Tony Schiavone leaves the broadcast position to go hug Britt Baker. What a moment! Are they actually friends? I thought it was always more just like, you know. I was waiting for Baker to hug and then slap him in the face. Yeah. Um, Call the audible. But it was a it was a very sweet moment. And I agree with your assessment, John. Like, I thought it's I thought it started off really hot. But then it just kind of like somewhere, you know, you felt that same lull as maybe in the prior two matches. But by the time they got to those false finishes, especially with those belt shots. They got everybody back, and that final lockjaw felt like a really big moment, culminating, like a big culminating moment for Britt Baker. It felt like, you know, it was the start of a new era, as as she would say. So I thought this was a good match. I don't know if I would necessarily call this one great. I feel like there is a better match within these two, and I don't know if that's just like the crowd. I felt like there was a little bit of, bit of sloppiness in the, in there, but I think overall the end result was very successful in coronating Britt Baker, and I definitely think that there's enough steam in this feud for them to build to a rematch. Yeah, I think that certainly like the goal of this was kind of like Britt Baker's ascension to the top of the division, and I thought you got a really great moment for that at the end. Um, they, they there were some issues in the match, but overall, I, I thought that this was I thought this was very good. And Ethan Page, Scorpio Sky versus Sting and Darby Allen. It was preceded by a black and white video of Sting picking up Darby Allen. They're carpooling to Jacksonville. Let's call it what it is. This was another student film with emo face paint daddy. It was a. Uh, not one of the more memorable videos, but, um, you know, it was 
father picking up son and heading off to work. So Darby, his two brothers were in the front row. Mm-hmm. Like everyone realized what was that that was not gonna be good news. Um yeah, remind me if um my brother ever starts to wrestle, not to sit ringside. So Sting comes out to a massive reaction, and Darby just immediately dives onto Ethan Page, and they brawl all over the floor before the bell rings. Sky hits Sting with a vertical suplex, and everyone is just wincing in pain. And on the ramp. On the ramp, yeah. Sorry, by the entranceway, on the ramp. And I have never been so happy in my life to see a man no-sell a move because he just stood right back up, and it was like, it was the, it was like, the baby face popping up from the maneuver, but it was also, oh, thank God, the 62-year-old man is okay. So you got the double pop. So he gets up, and he's just standing behind Sky. I thought Scorpio Sky was pretty great in this match. He knew exactly what his role was, and he was tremendous. He was awesome. He was really the perfect type of person you, Sting could ask for. Oh. Yeah. So Sting launches Sky off the ramp into Ethan Page, and then Sting dives off this ramp with a high cross off the poker chips and this audience goes insane so not only did he do that he took his shirt off like i don't know if i've seen sting without his shirt like in a long time like i don't did he have his t-shirt like in that cinematic match Dude, he, had his, he had his shirt on on that final uh nitro didn't he I was I like, yeah, he had his shirt on on the night show. I feel like he might have had a shirt on WrestleMania. I could be wrong. But listen, it is a big deal when a 62-year-old man who retired due to cervical spinal stenosis comes back into this match. And the reaction I had the same as you, John, when he took that suplex on the ramp, because I'm like, the senior citizen is done. This is like, match is over. He suffered a serious injury. Not only does he walk right back up, he takes his shirt off to reveal himself in incredible shape, and he dives with a crossbody off of the poker chips. It was like this was like it was like Sean coming back for that match with Hunter and taking that like backbreaker onto a steel chair. I'm like, holy shit! I didn't expect this at all, and, and they they hooked me in right right, right from right, from right that moment. It settles into a regular tag, getting the heat on Allen. They did the spot where he tags Sting, but Aubrey Edwards misses the tag. Excalibur is going over the injuries that Ethan Page has given to Darby Allen over the years, stemming from their evolved feud, including the attack with the shovel. And just as he's listing these injuries, Ethan Page launches Darby from the ring over the guardrail onto his brothers and the front row. He's like the like a Spike Dudley, you know, like being thrown into the crowd. Yeah, into his poor brothers. That takes a lot of trust and precision. I'm sure they've probably done worse on their weekend. Oh, they have. Uh, dude, he's he's done this to Darby Allen while he's been in a body bag. Yeah. Not able to forecast his landing. Allen stops Ego's edge, getting a rear naked choke, and then makes his way to the corner for the big tag to Sting. Sting is hitting the Stinger splashes. I think everyone in this audience was suddenly 10 years old and was going nuts. And then Sting hit a fucking code red out of the corner onto Ethan Page for a two count. It was not like, the best looking code red. Like dude, it was... it was the greatest 62-year-old code red of all time. There will be no there will be no defamation against the code red. This this guy Fine. I was just so impressed with with this guy and how hard this dude worked. It, I completely agreed. You know, like to me it's like this could have looked like a shitty, well, 
If it looked really bad, I think the reaction wouldn't have been great. But it looked good enough. And, and it, was, it was more so the idea that somebody on the status of a Sting, somebody with the legend of Sting, is still willing to learn new tricks. He's still willing to work hard and learn from younger people. Th- with, this is a guy that could totally coast in a tag match like this. And instead, it was so obvious. His mindset was, I have to work to the ability of these other three to earn my spot in this match. Totally. Absolutely. Like a total pro here. Page flips Allen off the top onto Sting. That looked brutal, where he grabbed the wrists and flipped Allen off the turnbuckle, landing on Sting. Like, that looked pretty rough. Um, But Sting gets back and uh, stops the ego's edge to Allen, applies the Scorpion Deathlock onto Page while... Scorpio Sky comes and puts the heel hook onto Allen. So you've got Paige and Allen in the respective submissions and start fighting one another and gouging each other's eyes before both submissions are broken. It's done. It's left to Sting and Sky, where Sting fires up, misses a Stinger splash, and as Sky goes for the slingshot cutter, he is caught with a Scorpion death drop and Sting pins Scorpio Sky. The place goes nuts. 12 minutes, 27 seconds. Whatever your expectation was, this had to have exceeded it. This was perfect for what it was. And Sting was phenomenal, but never did I feel it overshadowed Darby Allen. Like, this was a really well laid out match. And I think a lot of credit as well to Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page, who were great opponents. Uh, this, I was very, very impressed with this. I think you give most of the credit to those two, if I have to be they honest. They were great. They were great. But everyone worked hard in this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody delivered. I thought they crafted a really great match around, you know, the reintroduction of Sting. Um, I certainly didn't have high expectations for this. And I'm informed in the chat room by um by somebody here that Sting did, in fact, have his shirt off in the match with Seth Rollins. So that is important to know. But it's still, that's been years. It's been years since we've seen the man's you know, um, shoulders. Uh, so <laughs> he was in tremendous shape and the moment, like they crafted those moments really well to the point where every time he came in and did his basic stinger splash, scorpion deathlock things received huge reactions. The finish I thought was really brilliant with Scorpio sky going for that slingshot cutter, which is his, like one of his signatures of, or even his finish perfectly like, Falling into a scorpion death drop. I have to say, like, the scorpion death drop is usually not that, you know, impressive of a boot. Just a reverse DDT. But in this context, it made so much sense. It worked perfectly as a finish. And everybody just did a tremendous job in this. They, you know, I thought Ethan Page came across really well. Should bring his chemistry with Darby Allen into AEW. So that is a singles match I really want to see coming off of this. You can even give me Sky. Well, I don't know if I want to see a singles match with Sting, to be honest. Like... This might have been, like, the perfect type of setting for him. But who knows? Like, maybe he can, you know, like, exceed expectations even in a singles match. Are you now ready for Sting and Darby to challenge the Young Bucks? Yes, I am. I would love to see that. I mean, it'd be a... Man, I don't know how Sting would take those spots, but, like, God. Matt Jackson putting Sting into the sharpshooter? Ooh, I like it. Uh, next was the AEW Championship match. Second from the top, Kenny Omega, Pack, Orange Cassidy with Don Callis out on commentary. Kenny comes out draped with all of his championship belts. And, you know, the match, the early going, you know, it, technically all fine. It was 
like building the match, but it was like not nothing that's like jumping off the page. It's kind of just, you know, it's going along and we kind of escalate things once Omega hits the Terminator dive. And then suddenly it's just building and building. You you start, I, I thought Orange Cassidy was just terrific. Yeah, I thought there was some like fun, you know, just juxtaposition with like the two serious athletes and Pac and Omega be, do, being in there doing their thing. And then mm. here's like the lazy, lazy dude, you know, just like trying to capitalize on, on the double down and everything. I thought there were some fun moments there. Did you see the, the foam thumbs now they're selling for Orange Cassidy? They've always had those. Have they always had them? I, I think so. I, okay, well, we we haven't been selling merchandise for some time. So. Got to get you one of those, John. Uh. Omega starts hitting snapdragons all over the place. He tries one off the top to Cassidy, who fights it by getting his hands into his pockets to block the grip. And then Pac scales to the top and suplexes Omega off with a overhead German. And Pac gets hit with Kreutz Wrath for a two count by Omega. Uh, we just got, you know, some spectacular stuff here. Pac stopped a one-winged angel off the turnbuckle with a sunset bomb. Then Pac hit an avalanche falcon arrow to Omega. Cassidy throws Pac to the floor, and Cassidy goes for the cover on Omega. This crowd believed Orange Cassidy was going to pin Kenny Omega here. Everyone bid on this near fall. I was amazed by this. Uh, Cassidy starts the limp kicks on Pac, who just kicks him in the balls. As they explained, there was no DQ, no countouts in this. And follows with the black arrow, but Omega makes the save. Um... They were smart with the saves. Like, it never got into, like, kind of um, cliche, triple threat stuff. Omega goes for the one-winged angel. It was countered into the brutalizer. Then Cassidy's in with the orange punch to break it up. And after Cassidy hits both men with the orange punch, on the last one, <laughs> you've got Don Callis. Oh, shit. <laughs> he, shit, shit. He's got a bolt from the <laughs> desk. Dude, Don Callis was pretty entertaining here. Cassidy hits another one to pack... But referee Bryce Remsburg gets pulled to the floor by Don Callis. The whole place chants, fuck you, Don. Pac then catches Cassidy in the brutalizer. Omega is stomping, but Pac will not let go of the hold. So instead, Omega attacks Bryce Remsburg, who is unconscious. Omega then takes out Pac with one belt shot. The second belch. He goes through every one of his championships. This was amazing. He started off with the Impact belt. Then he went to the AAA Mega Championship. Then he used Moose's TNA title. And finally the AEW title. And it's like, you know, you can definitely like question whether or not now... It it became a comedy spot. It became like a Three Stooges spot. Where it was almost hard to believe. Because Pac just kept getting up and up and up after four belt shots. But still, like for for the belt collector to hit somebody with all four of his belts, I thought was just so awesome. Why else are you collecting these belts? You gotta use them. These are like his infinity stones. Exactly, exactly. So he takes out Pack with five five individual belt shots. Cassidy returns and nails Omega with another orange punch. He climbs on top. Aubrey Edwards runs in. And Omega kicks out into a crucifix cover, catching Cassidy in 27 minutes. Kenny Omega retains the championship. Um, I am usually the first one to say when, when a match it goes very long. Uh, th- this one, to me, I had no issue with the length. I was really into this. It, it, it built, but like in a really strong way. These three were excellent. 
Um, I mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this, and I did not mind the overt uh, finish, like with, with the belts. It's like you're gonna get that with like the Bucks and Omega, and I I had no issue with it. I I thought this was like a really well laid out match. I thought this was it. This was not my match of the show, but this was still really great. What was the time again? Twenty seven. Twenty seven. Wow. I, I thought it went like, by like pretty like I was never looking at my my watch. Did not feel it. Like it it surprises me that this was a whole half hour. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, and, and that certainly is a barometer of success. But I think, you know, like I've said in the preview, like the bigger barometer of success is is if they can get people to believe that Orange Cassidy actually had a chance of winning this AEW championship. When he tossed Pack to the floor, my God did that place they were ready to erupt for that. They had one great near fall. They didn't just have one. I thought they had like five of them where you could like conceivably believe, or at least you, you got the audience to react really big to an Orange Cassidy two count. So I thought the match was tremendously entertaining. You have like cal- athletes the caliber of, of Kenny and Pack in there. Anytime they're in there, like you're getting like top level. Like throw Phoenix in that group as well. Like su- incredible superhuman feats that you you continue to get, to get to see. But then you throw in Orange Cassidy, who's sort of that X factor um, in terms of a personality fitting in with these two. But as an athlete, like he fits in perfectly. He 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 was able to pull off some really incredible stunts as well. So I again like this is. It's not the first time we've seen Orange Cassidy in front of a crowd in AEW, but it's, it is the first time, I think, since we've seen his ascent to the main event level, I, I think you could say, in front of a crowd. Um, and I think you have to like look at this and say, they have done such a great job of taking this indie comedy gimmick, one-note, one-dimension, one-dimensional comedy gimmick, and they have been able to flesh him out and ha- have been able to format his shtick for a main event caliber performance. Um, and I thought this was... You know, more, we already kind of knew this, but I think for, for the, the few doubters that are still there, to me, this is like proof of concept that Orange Cassidy can be a leading man at some point. You know, I don't know how great a title reign would be for him, but certainly do people want to see him with the AEW championship? Yes, absolutely. You had, you know, proof of that multiple times in this match. So he was tremendous. Pack was incredible. Um, and Kenny, again, showing how great of a big game player he is. Yeah, this was this was really strong stuff. Uh, then they promoted AEW Full Gear, so this will be a Saturday night pay per view, November sixth in St. Louis. Tony Schiavone announces that with Rampage coming up in August, we have signed an analyst for the show who will also serve as a coach, the world's strongest analyst, Mark Henry, who came out, and Mark Henry is Mark Henry has arrived. Big reaction for Mark. He Henry. got a really good reaction. Yeah, it seemed like people yeah. were genuinely surprised. I kind of question it, to be honest, you know, and, and, and not that because I don't think Mark Henry would do a good job in the role. I think he would do a tremendous job. But I think he already, he just signed the big show, who to me has a very similar role. You know, he, he is sort of like your ex-WWE guy who is sort of the, the, the commentator. And I just don't, I would assume the analyst means commentator. And I just don't know how, if you need so many commentators in AEW I you know no doubt he much like the big show he'll be a good ambassador for them outside of, of TV he'll be a good veteran mind for the people in the back he's also but... been a hell of a recruiter for WWE oh interesting okay I didn't even think about that part he so, was yeah, like maybe... he has been the connection for a lot of people getting to the performance center uh, Bianca Belair included um, you know it's a yeah. uh, 
you know, it's it, we'll see how he does. Like he he really didn't do commentary before, but I mean, he's been talking about wanting to do like what one last run as well. So I mean, that's huh. probably I wouldn't be surprised at all if he does a match or two out of this. If if he comes back into the ring, I guess you know I'd be kind of curious about that. But I just like wonder if it makes kind of the big shows role redundant. So I, I'm sure they'll you know figure out a way to to make them work together. But um, you know, we're talking about like a WWE lifer. You know, for years, he's one of those guys, like, you always just associate with the WWE. To, so to kind of see him outside of this context was yeah, a bit of a shock for this audience. Yeah, a guy who's been attached to that company since 1996. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this Friday, Friday on Dynamite, Dustin Rhodes, Nick Camaroto, bull rope match. The Young Bucks against the Lucha Bros. Young Bucks and Lucha Bros. Wow, cool. I mean, we've Cody, seen that before, but I am TV. I'm not going to complain one. about getting that on TV on Friday. Cody Rhodes and Lee Johnson against QT Marshall and Anthony Agogo. Britt Baker's championship celebration and Mark Henry will speak. Cool. And in two weeks, Kenny Omega versus Jungle Boy. Although I guess with the playoff schedule, I I imagine they they aren't a hundred. They just said in two weeks. They didn't say necessarily Wednesday. Um, so there's still a chance for preemption even after next week? Well, it's just these series are all in play, right? right? So it's like you don't know how far some games are going to go. I guess, I'm sure they don't know. Like, will there be a game on that Wednesday or not? It's like I, I think the next month or so, it's going to kind of be stuff up in the air where you can't – it's, it's going to be based on if a series ends on time or if it's extended and how that affects Wednesday. Before we go to the main event, do you have a gauge of hype and interest heading into this show tonight? For for tonight's pay-per-view? Yeah. I think it's going to do well. I, I mean, they set their record with, with Revolution back in March. I don't... Uh, let me put it this way. If they're even close to that number, I think you really have to look at Stadium Stampede crowds being back i think that's that's a serious factor and that's kind of where i can't give a good prediction because with the ufc shows i mean they have done some monster numbers uh with you know when the, when they have been when they had their first full capacity show back in april i mean they did a really solid number um so i i i can't guess how that's going to affect people but i would say if if i was not doing this like the idea of watching a show an aew show with a full crowd that's very appealing to me beyond yeah even what the card is agreed i mean if the, if it was a really shitty card then that would affect things but i think stadium stampede is a very worthy like main event headlining type of thing on top of the the return um i i would sense like i sense high level of interest for this one which would tell you a whole lot like because they certainly had a big handicap with having their go home show be on a different night that that was definitely one. I I really don't put any credence into like the end of the last pay per view affecting people buying a no. follow up show. Um, I think th- to your point, the factor of like being the Friday to have that that big final push that to me would be more of a factor. So Stadium Stampede, the second version, the Inner Circle against the Pinnacle. The Pinnacle. Well, we see a limo enter TIAA Bank Field, and out of the limo is MJF who cuts a promo. On the inner circle, when Judas begins to play, and all of a sudden, all five members of the inner circle rappel down the scoreboard in the football field to their music as the crowd is singing along. This was a fucking crazy entrance. Like, the visual of these five men just, like, rappelling down this giant 
skyscraper of a scoreboard, including Chris Jericho, who just a few weeks ago said that was the, one of the scariest things I've ever done in my life was taking that bump off the cage and you'll never see me do it again. Dude, this is, I would take that bump off that cage a hundred times before I'm doing this. Clearly, like, none of these five afraid of heights, because that, this visual was insane, and Jericho still had his arm in a sling, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, he had, like, the dislocated elbow, and, um, you know, worked with it here, so, um, so this was interesting, like, I didn't know how they were going to put this together, like, obviously, you start in the field, and you would have to do a lot of taped elements, but... There was certainly a lot less live than I expected. They went mm. like what we, the whole match as a whole. It went just over thirty-one minutes, and probably like almost twenty-five of it was outside of the arena. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just like last year. I mean, it was a cinematic match, you know, with with them starting in the field and then breaking off into individual rooms, which you kind of have to deliver to people. I mean, that is what the viewer at home wants when you're promoting stadium stampede. So. I mean, first of all, I give a credit to everyone involved. Like this, this is a thirty-minute movie that they put together. Like this is a really complex undertaking, and they just divided everyone up based on their dance partner. And those were the scenes that we went to. We like chapter one, for lack of a better term, was uh, well. First, the inner circle all chased after MJF, who hid in the limo, and then a, the FTR truck drove in and that's where all of the pinnacle was and the fight begins on the field. Uh, Jericho and MJF, they square off. Well, I just wanted to add that. um, So throughout this entire thing, they still pipe in the audio from the audience. Yep. And um, I don't know if the expectation was that the crowd would be going crazy, but from what we could hear, it was just kind of, you know, just them being quiet. Like it was in a movie theater I mean, if you remember when they did Blood, Blood and Guts, the rest of the show was uh, supposedly crowd audio as well, played on the screen for the right. tape portion of the show. And they sounded really loud there, too. But that was after instruction. From what I could tell, they didn't give that, I, I, you know, it didn't work here because the crowd was pretty quiet throughout this cinematic portion. Yeah. Um, we're not going to go beat by beat here because there, were, there was so much to this. Um, pretty much, I mean, you can certainly, th- there was definitely some comedic elements but not not overt i mean we had like the megaphone spot with jericho some of the jericho mjf stuff they they had some cute stuff but i would never say any of this really dived into comedy per se to be honest i i i I would say maybe not enough because i see this and i while i thought it was like a really good backstage hardcore match i thought it kind of missed a lot of the personality of the first one and i don't know if you can do stadium stampede without you know, that sort of bit more of that slapstickiness. It's tough. Like this is like, this is a grudge feud. It's, it would have been really tough. I think to do that. Uh, they got urban Meyer, the coach of the Jaguars to not only do a cameo, but also swear, uh, after he handed a laptop over to Jericho to attack MJF with, uh, Wardlow and Hager battled it out in a walk in freezer, which <laughs> low key, my favorite moment was Wardlow grabbing an icicle to try and attack Jake Hager with. And was Hager's, that the first icicle spot in a pro wrestling match? I am not aware of anyone ever trying to attack someone with an icicle before, but I thought that was pretty, that was a pretty great spot. Uh, <laughs> the That's next cool. one, uh, it's Guevara and Spears 
where Spears is in this dimly lit room full of hundreds of chairs. I don't know how the hell they've got a room dedicated to chairs, but it was perfect for the Spears character. I mean, it's a stadium, you know, and they have to put chairs out for concerts and whatnot. So it was a brilliant visual. Yeah. It felt like he was about to do a dance number. Well, Guevara, like, just turned this into, like, this incredible fight scene. He, like, leaped off the wall. Um, This match, as we would get into, was pretty much like Guevara was supposed to be the starring member of this. And after at the end of their fight sequence, Guevara is handcuffed uh, but spots bolt cutters. And that's how we are left. We go to the nightclub. Santana and Ortiz go and meet up with the best-dressed group of FTR and Tully Blanchard. I know I praise Tully Blanchard a lot. This man is just the best. This Tully outfit, this... Blanchard. Yeah. Like, forget Sting taking his shirt off, okay? Tully Blanchard with the arms cut off, sleeveless thing with with jeans and a handkerchief around his neck. It was the it. look of the night. Yeah. This was great. The four all had a drink. And then the DJ is playing, and it's like a pull focus on the DJ, and it's Conan. That was great. Yeah, That was great a great cameo. And Tully tries to get involved using a weapon and is stopped by Conan. And it was just like a nice kind of ode to, you know, those that know the backstory and utilizing Conan here. And they had this long brawl in the nightclub. We go back to Hagar and Wardlow, and Wardlow gets chokeslammed through a crate. Jericho and MJF go through the office space, which included a cardboard cutout of Shad Khan that Jericho used to attack MJF with, uh, into the boardroom where Jericho found Floyd the baseball bat. Spears then gets chased off by a group of uh, by a group of motorcycles as they just these random dudes who are hanging out. Excalibur called them the Inner Cycle Motorcycle Club, so we are yeah. supposed to believe that they have their own motorcycle club now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's going to be absolutely a T-shirt. The Inner Circle Motors. I'm sure Jericho's Ah. gotten the Sons of Anarchy, and that was the theme. Well, they were wearing, like, motorcycle vests, so... They did, yes. They have an affiliation now. Um, Spears gets chased by the group of motorcycles and hides. Jericho and MJF then make their way into Daly's place. Guevara drives into Daly's place with a golf cart, chasing down Spears and then nailing the guy... And then it's Guevara and Spears that enter the ring in Daly's place. Um, everyone else is dead. MJF looked like he got um, a vasectomy on this. <laughs> on the banister, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he just got dropped right on there. And Shivani said, I hope he has a cup. And JR said, I hope he doesn't. And that was the end of MJF. So, yeah. Guevara and Spears are having it out in the ring. There was a springboard by Guevara and nailed with a chair. But Spears uh, continues with the chair shots. Guevara kicks out and then hits the GTH, curb stomps Spears into the chair in the corner and ends it with a 6.30 senton, pinning Sean Spears after 31 minutes and 17 seconds for the inner circle to prevail. They all joined in the ring they played Judas, and the crowd sang to go off the air. That was a great, great idea. It it really it was, was. Perfect ending. It, it was exactly as you had said, you know? Um, it, it, if thought... you, like, listen, this was really well laid out. Um, this was the only part of the show where it was like, I, I, I felt like the length. It was just, mm. 
Uh, but but listen, it's not really a knock on the match. This is not going to be everyone's cup of tea. It's like I, I can I, I could go or not with whatever's uh, people's opinion in is of it. But to me, it was like just the crowd was such a big part of this show that I just I don't care how great this was. I didn't want 25 minutes away from the crowd. It's like we've had a year plus away from the crowd. I didn't need another 25 away from it. That would be my only critique on this. But, dude, this whole crowd stayed there at Daly's Place and watched this on a screen. So they loved it. There was a lot of creativity in this. And it all comes down to whether these style of matches, whether you like them or don't. It's not going to be everyone's uh, favorite. I I thought at the very, you know, it, it, all of this has been experimental. Everything over the past year has largely been experimental, especially when it comes to these cinematic matches. And I feel like this time, when it was time to promote a pay-per-view, uh, they were kind of stuck in a way because this is your first show back with the crowd. But at the same time, you've built such so much uh, brand value in the stadium stampede that I think it was completely effective as a draw, you know, to headline this pay-per-view. And I absolutely think I this agree. should have this should have main evented because it was the, the match with the most anticipation. It was the match with the greatest stakes. Um, but unfortunately, that means you have to do a, a, a stadium stampede cinematic match. Um, you know, it, it, we had wondered, John, you and I, and I think a lot of people, when cinematic matches were going on, will they stay after the pandemic is over? Can the crowd, you know, be engaged? With you know something like a uh what is it the barnyard boneyard <laughs> boneyard match not barnyard barnyard match boneyard match or stadium stampede stadium stampede last year was my cinematic match of the year and to me like this had as much of a chance as any other match you know to captivate the crowd's attention I think we saw tonight that it didn't completely work um and I wonder if last year's match took place like on the screen instead of this year's match would it have made a difference. I'm not really sure because I, I do think that last year's match was higher in quality in terms of maybe creativity, in terms of like beat for beat funniness. Um, this year, I thought they went, you know, understandably the more serious route, but, uh, you know, at the same time, kind of lost a lot, a lot of like what made last year special. Um, but that said, everybody in this match worked really hard. Like, they took they all took a lot of very brutal shots you know in what essentially became like a pretty violent hardcore backstage hardcore match a lot of creativity too you know throughout from everybody but i i do think the lack of like you know fun moments they had a lot of them like they had like i thought the the jaguars coach was was a great bit the conan thing was a great bit but it was not the ratio was not like enough the rest of it just kind of played out like your, you know, stereotypical backstage hardcore match. Um, and I thought it went too long overall. Like this definitely probably could have used a lot more tightening up in it with the pre-taped element. And then they should, probably should have gone to the live live attendance a lot sooner. I also think the culminating bits, like the culminating sequence, I feel like needed to involve everybody. You know, this should have been like the end of Avengers Endgame when everybody comes in and you see this live in front of the arena, big brawl involving everyone. You know, having Sammy just kind of like be the lone person, it, it it was nice. It was like it made for a kind of like a nice little poetic uh, climax to, you know, last year's match. But I think it should have felt bigger with everybody there. I, um, I think I think to that point, though, like I really like that Guevara got that big spotlight out of this. And you can also, by the way they did it without the rest of the pinnacle there, Sean Spears can be the fall guy. 
for the pinnacle that they can somewhat like he is the one that lost it for the team. And maybe he's kicked out of the group or something like that, um, that the other pinnacle members were, were not part of the finish. I guess just, you know, I think they could have done the same sequence, but having everybody surrounding the ring, at least like somewhat involved, I feel like I was, I feel like we were missing that like same creativity that like would have felt like a good climax for this whole thing. But I have to say, like, uh, maybe the most impressive thing about this entire thing was the great effort they you they 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 made in using reverse psychology with that go home show, with that big you know inner circle goodbye to lead us to think that there was a chance that this match ended the the other way, um, which was very very smart because tonight's match, like your headline was either going to be the inner circle wins or the inner circle loses, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Like the pinnacle winning, the story is the inner circle. And they they really it'll be a real test of how much people believed in that stipulation, if it meant something. And if tonight's number surprises us and it's right in the ballpark of what they just did in March and who's to say it's not. I can't disagree if they come back with another stadium stampede, because that would be your pay-per-view audience saying they want this match once a year. And I mean, there didn't appear to be. Like that crowd, I, I didn't get a great look at it, but I would be very curious to see if anyone left during that main event. I would I would doubt it would be a notable number that didn't stay till that very last pinfall. It, it definitely like, you know, I, I they built Stadium Stampede up so much now through two years that I don't think you don't think you should you should just throw it away. Now, like, would they deem this one successful enough to headline another pay-per-view? And would the audience be interested in seeing another one of these? I think it depends it how this be, one. It depends how this one draws. I think that's. I think you what, should. You can definitely advertise it, but I do think the concept needs some retooling. You know, for a live audience, there needs to be a, a lot more maybe crowd participation throughout. Yeah, I could certainly see that. Like, like for me personally, if I was somebody that AEW was coming to my town and that was the headliner, I, I want to watch that at home. I think that's the best way to to watch that. Now that said, they gave you an incredible three and a half hours before that I could Mm -hmm. never leave uh, complaining about that. And that takes us to our overall view. I thought this was an excellent pay-per-view. I, I thought one of AEW's best Um, I I would have to like, I guess revolution last year is a lot of people's like high mark when it comes to that. Um, That, that tag match is one of my best matches this year. Um, It was my match of the show tonight. Um, There was some incredible wrestling, a phenomenal crowd. Um, like lulls aside or just little things, that's all they were to me were, were little things that you can critique. This was a excellent pay-per-view, I thought. You know, I spent four and a half hours watching wrestling and I felt energized by the end, you know, and that to me is like like a sign of a great, a really good show. It was not without its fault, certainly. It definitely dipped in the middle, but it started off strong and I thought it ended off like, you know, despite maybe not being perfect, I thought it ended really strong with some really great highlights throughout the event. So a really entertaining pay-per-view overall. Yeah, a really great scene at the end with like Judas playing. Like it was like a really great uh, ending to the story and the baby faces getting the big win at the end. So there you go. That is AEW, AEW, Double or Nothing, 2021. Uh, we're going to open the phone lines, and we're going to try and get to uh, as many of you as possible. So let's uh, let's jump in. Let's start off here with Bruce. Bruce Lord, what's going on? Evening, guys. Once again, AEW has you really burning the midnight oil, so thanks again for staying up late. Um, I just kind of wanted to speak to this question concerning uh, cinematic matches and kind of their future moving forward. 
as you guys were saying, you know, after those first three matches, which were all wonderful in ring, but were given so much extra uh, energy and weight and impact by virtue of that live crowd, I don't know how you can want to kind of keep having, you know, cinematic matches as your big centerpieces going forward. I want crowds reacting. I want to hear you know, how a live crowd is going to react to Kenny Omega as champion. I want to hear a crowd getting behind Britt Baker after she's earned so much respect through her matches over the last few months. I want to see how, you know, your prospects, like your Lee Johnsons and whatnot, how they're going to learn to develop organic reactions from crowds. Um, You know, we, you know, to to bring something else up, we kind of gave... Seth Rollins a lot of grief a couple of months ago for sort of saying, ah, you know, the live crowds get in the way of, you know, storytelling or whatever. And I think that if nothing else, this last year has shown us just what an integral part of pro wrestling storytelling live crowds are. And now, you know, after the last year that we've had, after these kind of really moribund and somewhat depressing New Japan shows, I just don't see why you wouldn't want to have as much crowd participation, as much crowd activity uh, in your shows moving forward. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the big test uh, tonight's show. Like, I'd be curious to hear from people that were there after sitting through that show. I mean, for all we know, we're going to hear stories that the, the audience was going nuts watching this on the screen. Like, how did the audio sound? How did it look? Did everyone have an unobstructed view to, to watch the match? Mm-hmm. I mean, may, maybe it was a great success, but it's it's catering to two different audiences like this. This may work really well to your pay-per-view audience that, hey, I loved last year's match. I'm buying this year's. But to someone that is there in the arena, they may have had a, a different experience. On on the surface, you would think that asking people to watch something for 25 of the 31 minutes on a screen is going to be pretty taxing and not something you're going to want to do with regularity. And that's what it's going to become. I I don't see cinematic matches just completely being stopped cold turkey by all these companies, but I think you have to have the right idea and be very judicious with when you roll it out. Like I would only do this once a year now. And I think there needs to be like right balance between live action versus, you know, what's backstage. And I don't know if they hit that tonight, but they're certainly like the name value itself in the Firefly Funhouse or in the Boneyard match um, or the Stadium Stampede, I think is enough for them to, you know, promote either on a TV show or on a pay-per-view to spark some interest. But there there has to be probably better balance than what we saw tonight in terms of live to taped um, content. Yeah, I agree. And I think we, we I think we kind of saw a good example of that before COVID in the um the Cody Jericho feud. You remember where there were all of those kind of like, oh, running through the offices and breaking down doors and out into the um the out the uh, aisles and whatnot uh of the stadiums. I thought that those, you know, showed that they were able to do these slightly more staged and planned uh, you know, scenes moving through uh different areas with a kind of a somewhat cinematic element, but the crowd was still absolutely dead center of it. Uh, if I could just quickly fire a question to you guys, uh, I was really excited to see Leo Rush come out. I have loved his stuff uh, in MLW and in NJPW Strong over the last little while. I think he's somebody who's really raised his stock uh, since leaving the WWE. I guess we might be getting a private party feud if he can find a tag partner, but I'd be interested in seeing uh, how you think he'll be booked and who he might be feuding with in the short term. Thank you, All right, Bruce. Thanks a lot, Bruce. 
Yeah, I think we'll get a sense of what, first of all, if, if he's coming in, if it's just going to be, you know, sometimes they have brought people in and they, they get a bit of a showcase. Are they going to stick around or not? I, I think we'll, we'll get to see Leo Rush at least for, you know, to get that, that opportunity. And yeah, you would seem him finding a partner would make sense to do something with, with private party. That seemed to be one of, one of the angles that they shot in the battle Royal. Yeah, who knows? I think he would fit in pretty strong with like um, a, a lot of people. Um, I he's a great talent. Like I think he would he would add a lot on that roster. Yeah, I I, I sense mm, you know who knows? Like I, I I you know my 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 other comparable is somebody like a Matt Seidel who kind of comes in and like hasn't really done a whole lot besides like you know be a be a maybe dependable tag team wrestler now and maybe like a good kind of like opening match guy to duo maybe once in a while tnt title challenge or something i feel like leo rush has like built himself up to you know have a bigger status than that but is he going to be of the level of you know let's say maybe like a miro signing remains to be seen let's go up next to nick nick thank you for staying up what's going on happy dior's day Gents, happy D- Dior's Day, sure. I'm a fan yes. of that pun way. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Dior's the, Day device. Okay. The Dior's Day device. Yeah. Ah, oh, John, I totally agree with you. I think this is one of AW's best pay-per-views, and in my opinion, their best. I think you could really tell that everyone on this show was elevated about 25 to 35 percent, which is having the crowd back, including commentary. Like, I'm not someone who is a particular fan of Jim Ross on AEW shows. I really enjoyed him tonight. I enjoyed everyone, all the guest commentators. And I think the real strength of these AEW pay-per-views is that all of the action across the board is so diverse. Like a Mox and a Kingston match is so different from a Kenny Omega match or a Kenny Omega triple threat is so different to a Sting and Darby Allen match, which I thought was incredible. And I think on the stadium stampede thing, it'll be interesting to see how they proceed with, you know, the, just the integration overall of the Jacksonville Jaguars brand into AEW. Because I think you can definitely tell tonight that <clears throat> they're bringing a lot of big names. It's like the Jacksonville Association. I thought for sure we were going to get some Trevor Lawrence and Tim Tebow stuff tonight. We didn't end up getting anything from those two Jaguars stars. Um, but I think they eventually will return to this concept. I think the the brand integration is just in such, it's so convenient for them to do it. And, and it helps out both of Tony Khan's, you know, main business ventures. It would be a great idea for like a halftime heat type of thing, you know? I mean, oh, yeah, essentially absolutely. like halftime heat, the original one with rock and Foley was kind of this, you know, but you can add certainly more of a pre-edited, you know, element to it now these days. I'm interested in what you guys think in terms of cinematic matches for sting, because I don't know how I think way you brought this up. Like, I don't know what the, the legs would be for a a sting singles match in the near future. He looked really, really great tonight, but I wonder if you wanted to, if you wanted to return to, you know, a sting cinematic match, like we saw at revolution, like would that be an Avenue going forward and would a crowd be tolerable of that? Or would they want to see sting in person, you know? I think going back to our conversation from earlier, I think they're going to be very careful about like how many cinematic matches they can promote from from this point on, you know, with with the live crowd. So I don't anticipate it for the upcoming pay-per-views. Um, I think they will promote a Sting singles match at some point. You know, we're going to go through our Sting first, first unedited live match in six years. <laughs> and then they're your first singles match in, in six years. And it has to be the right p- opponent with the right layout. 
Um, but I, I do think we'll get that. Yeah. All right. I thought the show was great. And as always, I enjoy everything you guys do. So have a good evening. Thanks. Thank Nick. you very much, Nick. Let's go up next to Kevin. Kevin, what did you think of Double or Nothing? Kevin, if I hit this button properly. There we go. Okay. Hi. How are you? Hey. Uh, yeah, I thought that. a pretty overall a pretty strong pay-per-view. Um, enjoyed for the most part the Brick Baker uh, Sheeta match. Um, loved the Omega match. Um, I enjoyed the Stadium Stampede. I think. I think one of my problems with the whole feud is I haven't felt like the Pinnacle has been that strong as a group. I mean, it's been more MJF than it has been everybody else. I think I would like to see, I think that one of the things that's been missing, I'd like to see the Santana Ortiz FTR tag matches. I think we're missing those. I think those would be a lot of fun. Uh, Those would be great. Um, And I thought it ended in a nice way with the crowd all back. Um, uh, yeah, and I don't disagree with you guys about the cinematic matches. I think that that's going to be, I, and it may depend what happens going forward if they're where they are at. But I think I think it did lack a little. I do agree with you. It did lack a little bit of the that crowd element. Um, and I also agree way it also lacked. Should it should have had everybody there at the end? I think it, that could have had that. Uh, my um, my thing I wanted to ask about was with Mark Henry going in. Um, I, I wasn't a big fan of Jim Ross tonight. And I, I think that this three, four man commentator, especially when you get Taz and Callis and I feel like Jim Ross is getting lost a little bit, or maybe, maybe I'm missing something, but, um, are you, do you think that we see a change there? Do you see a different role for Jr. eventually where you kind of put him in? I like him in those uh, segments where he's talking about the matches and the, and the backstory. I really like that. Um, but it kind of, I guess your thoughts on the commentator, I, I thought Excalibur, especially in the Darby Allen match and the sting Darby Allen match, I thought he added a lot, uh, just kind of where you see Jim Ross. And I'm just also finding it interesting that Paul Ray and Mark Henry are going to be using commentator roles and the WWE has struggled in that. And I just kind of maybe your thoughts on, on the commentator situation, AEW a little bit more and I'll hang up. Thanks. Thanks Kevin. I think overall, uh, I think Excalibur is tremendous. Um, he is, you couldn't find, ask for a better play-by-play person who knows the depth of knowledge about everything that he does for this particular roster. I didn't mind JR at all on this show. I, I think, you know, at this point, it's like he's he, he is associated with the product long enough. And I think his value really comes from just his his brand and having his face attached to the to the thing uh and having that big moment every single pay-per-view of him entering you know the the arena before that buy-in it's um to me he brings a lot of value there um but what do you think john yeah i think i think when it comes to the big title matches and obviously like uh a certain story of a match. I think that's where he really shines when you've done the sit down interviews. Those have been, you know, very effective uh, in that role. I, I don't, I don't foresee any, any changes to the, the main team. It's going to be to me, just uh, the, the expansion to the other shows, but I, I, I don't foresee any change. I think it's uh, there's some that enjoy it. There's some that don't, but I think when, when you, when you look at some of the, 
like criticisms that have come out of people that are being thrown into these roles uh, in WWE. It's like, I, I get the negativity some have towards Jim Ross, but I think there's also a lot of the, a lot of the skill set that he does have in a lot of those big matches tend to get overlooked too. Let's go up next to Hanzi. Hanzi, you're on the air. What's going on? What's going on? Uh, I think the common thread is that anyone that Randy Orton kind of berates ends up in AEW, you know, Big Show, Mark Henry, Matt Hardy. You know, it, it just, no, it's just weird. But, like, the other thing is that I don't know if you guys pay attention to this last year, but I, I, yeah, Leo Rush and Mark Henry had beef last year because that Mark Henry was one of the guys that was kind of, uh, you know, going at him for like you know, being disrespectful. So it's going to be awkward because I mean, if anything, if Mark Henry does come out of retirement, like him versus Leo Rush, I mean, that, that could actually end up happening. I'm not saying it will, but I'm just saying that's kind of awkward now because Leo Rush is in AEW. If I don't know if he's going to sign there, but now with Mark Henry there, it's going to be kind of, you know, awkward uh, in my personal opinion, but um, overall, I I, I, I I would imagine they would deal with a lot of that stuff backstage if they haven't already. So I don't think you would probably see any of that on air. Or, all right, that's cool. We would cool. not get any wind. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, overall, I, I I enjoyed most. I enjoyed most of the show. I think a common uh, thing is that we all probably didn't like the Cody. I think that was probably like the only real match. I mean, I, those matches I didn't look forward to that over delivered for me, like Page and Cage. Like there, there wasn't much storyline going in there. I, I thought the I'm with Pollock. I thought the 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 tag title match was like the best lot, like atmosphere wise, where people were getting into like the pinfalls and near falls. I thought it could have been over like like ten times already, but then they could just kept going on and on. And I complain about false finishes sometimes, but I thought in that atmosphere it was really good. And I I was saying before the show with you guys that like uh, maybe that should have main evented. I think that could have main evented if you had the faces win. Because again, you wouldn't want the Bucks to end the pay per view as heels, whatever, and all. Like, you know what I mean? You probably want like people singing along to Moxley's theme. So, I mean, just the 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 placement of the main event, I didn't really, I didn't really, uh, I, I I liked most of the um, stadium stampede, but I I, I thought the, the last year's one was a lot better, and uh, I, I I suspected that Inner Circle was gonna win. I I feel like they're gonna do a rubber match, and I think maybe at All Out they'll extend this uh, feud for a little bit longer, I guess, until All Out or something like that. So I figured they'll be doing a rubber match or something like that. And yeah, that's basically it. And I'll leave you guys with that. Thank you. Thanks, Hansi. Yeah, um, you know, they certainly have a lot of singles matches that they can burn through, you know, of each individual pairing. And yeah, we haven't even had uh, Proud and Powerful and FTR yet. So definitely they could potentially drag it out that long. Let's go up next to Rory. Rory in Australia, what's going on? Hey, going, guys. Um, all I'm going to say is give me Leo Rush versus Park in like a best of five or best of seven. Like that would just be, oh, that would just be so good. Um, <laughs> um, but like, uh, yeah, just like with the show tonight, just I don't know why. I don't know why, but uh, just it hit me a little bit more uh, with the fans being there than it did at WrestleMania. I don't know why. Like I'm usually a guy who loves the big pomp and circumstance of mania and and how big it is and all that sort of stuff. But I don't know why. Like it, it was just it had something tonight that was just a little bit more special, a little bit more magical, um, uh, and just the, the the action in ring just like made it step up a notch. Uh, that three way, 
wow uh i just like you you like you can't you, you can't get better than that i i don't think like making crowds bite on finishes of, of orange cassidy uh potentially beating kenny omega making people believe that that could be a potential like that is just phenomenal like uh i uh Sheeta and Britt baker like Sheeta, i hope she gets another run and i hope it's a little bit more substantial um and uh and also like i love the fact that triple h was trending tonight on twitter because everybody was saying that cody is the triple h of aew like uh just uh being so uh self-indulgent so to speak and just being very very uh like yeah uh i uh, but all in all all, all in all fantastic chart absolutely fantastic thank you very much for the call oops sorry about that rory um but thank you very much oh sorry do you have something else uh, i I just say that i hope that new japan was watching that show just to just to help them make the decision on which which way to go I just hope that there was someone at the, like, if they were thinking about being exclusive with one person, I hope they watched tonight and they were just like, you know what, maybe we should, uh, maybe we should uh, second, second guess that one and keep going with AEW and, and all that sort of stuff. I just hope so. All right. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if um, it would come down to something like this, but um yeah, who knows? Who knows what, how much there is to that story? You know, on the Cody front, um, I feel like there have been plenty of signs that, you know, we the crowd has been ready for a Cody heel turn. But for whatever reason, they have kind of, you know, continued to to prevent that. Tonight, I just felt was, you know, as loud as ever that I think we're ready for that. Um, he's certainly primed for the role. Can you see it happening, John? I think at some point you can. I mean, the... Uh... Again, it's like you're moving back to crowds now. You're going to get more of those authentic reactions. I mean, Cody was like a pretty super over babyface before the pandemic and, I mean, has been a very popular character. So there's there, there's a value in having babyfaces that can cut promos at the level uh, of a Cody. Um, but certainly, like, I, I think it's it's all about timing of, you know, it's a guy that can be a very effective heel, but when is it most... Uh, opportune to turn him as well i think he could be a great top heel you know it just depends if like they want to right, but not right now he can't be the top heel right now because of the tv show you mean because of the cha- where the championship is right now like you have your top heel right. like cody is not going to be replacing that spot so i mean that that's where it comes down to timing as well let's go to ab ab you are on what's going on hi guys thanks it's a pleasure to get to chat with you after a really fun show mm-hmm. i gotta say i'm mm-hmm. thankful Pac wasn't challenging uh ultimo dragon for the jacob otherwise we still wouldn't be starting here but you know overall it was a very fun show that kind of highlighted to me just how much aw has been able to work with younger stars like jungle boy darby allen uh orange cassidy and you know showcase them as stars main event acts etc i did kind of find that noticeable christian cage was getting booed uh during the battle royal whenever you know there was a chance that jungle boy would be eliminated because the crowd loves jungle boy more so than christian i don't think christian was getting you know booed throughout the match if anything i would say they were somewhat apathetic towards him but you know when they're being paired when he was being paired in there with certainly the more overwhelming uh fan favorite in jungle boy he was leading into the heelness i thought 
I don't know, guys. I don't know if you guys would allow me to talk about the uh, the news this week, particularly uh, Willie Urbina, man who uh, I spoke uh, for many years. I don't know if you guys would allow that, or rather of have course. it another show. Yeah, why not? So. I wouldn't say that his words were racist per se. I think it's just the culture over here is very insulated. We really don't understand over the here? consequences of uh, Puerto Rico. Okay. We don't really grasp the consequences of that kind of mentality or comment, et cetera. You know, I, I live it every day where I will watch television. Uh, there was recent incidents with comedians sporting blackface and, you know, half people are mad about it. Other people just don't get why it's a big issue. Maybe not to us, but, you know, internationally to the United States or UK, it is a big issue for very good reason. It's not to defend Willie Urbina or something like that, but, you know, just to put it out there that unfortunately us as a culture here in Puerto Rico, we're very insulated when it comes to racism and that kind of issue. And I just wanted to come here and be able to get that off my chest. Thank you for the thoughts. Um, I understand where you're coming from, and I certainly like um, think the way people are raised is um, a big factor. But we're talking about a commentator who is working for an American company on a live broadcast, and yeah, he didn't know he was on air, but that doesn't really make it any di any different, any better. Like he is a represent. I, if you're working for, I don't. I think even if he was working for a, a Puerto Rican company, I I, I just can't really excuse something like that on a professional work environment um man it's it's really I, I i can't buy that excuse no i'm not saying it's an excuse because unfortunately wwc over here will practice that kind of stuff uh you know comment on a person's color and stuff like that it's not an excuse at all he should have gotten punished i understand him getting fired uh etc but You know, it's not an excuse. I just wanted to get it out there. Unfortunately, we really need to mature as a culture over here. Yeah, maybe this is, you know, like a, a, a big sign, you know, if in fact um, this type of practice is occurring frequently. Um, listen, I understand you, you You seem to know the man personally, and I, I would think that maybe this was not the best representation of who he is uh, or the person that you know. Um, unfortunately it was made and this is out there and he has to answer for it. Uh, and that starts with, you know, him being let go. Um, and I, I, I wonder if, you know, if he, if he will comment, has he commented? To my understanding, no. And that is something I will definitely criticize him about. He should comment, apologize, and, you know, just put his name out there, face the consequences of his actions, et cetera. But, I, I wanted to say this as a wake-up call to us over here in Puerto Rico that we really need to understand this kind of behavior is unacceptable, really. Uh, you know, a lot of wrestlers over here were very indignant towards AEW saying, no, this is uh, a, a, a heel company, basically. Like, he is just trying to garner heat or something like that. First of all, he's not garnering heat. He's a commentator making a comment uh, out of context. But, you know, us as a culture really need to wake up This is how wrestling is internationally. That's why it's a multi-million dollar company outside of Puerto Rico. And we're in Puerto Rico. We're not even on TV anymore. Hmm. You mean AEW is not on TV? Uh, referring to WWC in particular, which oh, he worked on and other, you know, there's no outlet for Puerto Rico when it comes to wrestling on television at all. Right. 
Thank you very much for the call, AB. Thank you, uh, guys. Appreciate, appreciate your you. thoughts. Hope you call back in uh, soon. Uh, any thoughts, John? No, I mean, I think AEW made the decision that they had to. I mean, they had to take action, and they took it right away. And I think that that's uh, that that's going to be on Willie Urbina to to address it and to you know issue you know his his statement, his apology that I, I think should be should be made uh, after it. It's something that I mean. You can say, hey, I didn't know I was on the air. That's that doesn't fly. Like I've been in enough situations where it's like you when you have a microphone on, it's like you always have to be you're in like those are your words that are coming out of your mouth and you have to own that. So that's just the situation. And I I didn't see AEW like as soon as we talked about it on Friday night, like and hearing that, like that was the only outcome I could foresee AEW making the next day. Our final call of the night. We go to New Jersey, Brandon, from what I understand at this point, the former Interconta Channel champion. Yeah, it was a good run, man. Uh, but uh, all things must come to an end, right? Why? I got retired, you like Orton. You you retired me, yes, that is correct. So, um, Just like Randy Orton retired all those uh, vets that are at AEW now. In January. What? Uh, I'll be quick. Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed. Uh, I thought Serena Deeb was awesome. Uh, she's a tremendous ring general. Uh, what do you think uh, is next for her besides defending the NWA title? Do you, you guys think that uh, there's a higher ceiling for her? I know her age is uh, is against her and whatnot, but uh, what are your thoughts on that? You're talking to, to 37 year olds, okay? So 34 is. I mean, she's in her yeah, prime. 34. Though, like seriously, that's like. Yeah, I I think uh, uh, she. I got it. I got it. I'm sorry. I, I think she faces Thunder Rosa, uh, and I think um, Thunder Rosa might take that belt back. But um, I wasn't trying to be an ageist or nothing like that, because I think she's awesome. Like, I think she could be champion for my personal opinion. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I hope I hope no one took a slight to that. that no, uh, very very that much so. You you're in you trouble, Brandon. A lot of people. All our all our over thirty fours are just scoffing at Brandon from New Jersey right now. And, uh, and what do you? And one more thing. What do you think of the the pinnacle? Like, I mean, I felt like they lost all their feuds so far. Like, and this is supposed to be like a, an awesome stable. Like, uh, uh, are, are we, I know they got one over on us with blood and guts and whatnot. But uh, I mean, they've had, getting... they've had two big matches, so I mean, that's I guess you know five hundred. I mean, right, I, yeah. Like, I think all these feuds are gonna you know continue now. I think you're 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 just gonna splinter off uh, a number of these uh, groups, but. You know, I, I think it's like Pinnacle's still going to be positioned as kind of, you know, whether that or the elite, whichever, that's like 1A, 1B of your heel groups. But I, I still feel like they are going to be kind of the focus uh, of the company from, you know, coming out of this match and where and where you go now with, with Jericho and MJF and probably with Santana and Ortiz and FTR. There, there's still like a lot, I think, to this feud with, with the inner circle and, and how the, and how the pinnacle comes out of this. Uh, that's all I got. It's one fifty six and uh, 50 degrees in the East. Good night, everyone. Good night, Brandon. Thank you, Brandon. Always appreciate you. Uh, John, you know, because it is such a late show, I hope um, people will be able to understand if we aren't able to read your feedback on the forum um, tonight. So are you okay with that? Uh, yes, let's uh, let's go through a few of them here. Okay. Uh, first of all, in the poll you guys gave the show, 
an 8 out of 10. Uh, I'll start off, John, with Mark, who says, top to bottom, one of the most enjoyable pay-per-views I can recall. The atmosphere was perfect. With the exception of Cody and a go-go, the crowd was on fire for almost everything. Love the fact that at the end of the night, it was Sammy looking like a big star, just like Jungle Boy, MJF, Britt, Orange Cassidy, Darby, and Hangman. These guys will be the stars of the next few years, and this pay-per-view did a lot to ensure that they are treated as such. The Sting Tag match was super fun, perfect use of a legend, same with Christian and even Jericho. Just a super fun show. All right, we go to Johnny from Saskatoon. A pretty good show overall. The last three matches definitely ramped up the pay-per-view for me. I've actually never watched the Sting match before, and usually I'm very hesitant to see older wrestlers make a comeback. But Sting looked awesome tonight. Something about the Stinger Splash just looks awesome. Three-way was great as well. It did feel like it hit that second wind like New Japan matches do. Normally, I balk at ref spots, but they definitely got me good tonight. And the Stadium Stampede match was just as good as the first one. Ben from Vancouver, excellent show overall, with the only down point being whatever the Cody Ogogo mess was. Match of the night for me was either Cage, Page, or Bucks, Mox, and Kingston. Nothing was bad on the show, I just didn't understand anything related to the Cody match. Stadium Stampede was a little goofy, and I think Pinnacle has to boot out Spears now and blame him for the loss. Overall, entertaining though. You know, you suggested that too, John, and um, I just... I don't know if they would do that so soon. You know, especially because I feel like they're just starting to craft, like, identity for Spears. That I, I can't see them just like ousting him into like nothingness because I feel like he would just flounder without him. Uh, it, it would not be great if they if they did that. It's just, you know, I think coming out of this match, the pinnacle needs to needs to do something impactful to get some of that heat back coming off of this loss. But that could be any number of things. That's just one that comes to mind, given that they isolated everyone else except for Spears to be there to be the one to lose so anyway I, I would imagine there's a good presence of the pinnacle on on friday to come out of this loss josh from vietnam uh, overall i'd say there are more good than bad from this show the inner circle winning was unexpected but i understand ending the first pay-per-view with crowds back with a feel-good moment the four title matches it was very different than a uh, roman pinning both baby faces in the match <laughs> yeah a little bit. Or at least the major babyface and then whatever Edge was. Uh, the four title matches were all very good with different structures and the right side one in all. The tag match has Sting with Sting has Sting looking incredible. Darby's just insane and Paige and Sky being utterly despicable. Battle Royal was mostly fun and delivered two surprises in Leo Rush and Jungle Boy winning. The only potential negative for me is Cody totally killed the momentum, the momentum of a go-go after no-selling numerous body shots from him. I wouldn't say Cody was no-selling those body shots. I mean, he took the one right at the beginning and then later took another one. Um, you know, it was... Like, listen, watch it. I Sorry, please. Go ahead. I was going to say, like, watching this match, this match was more so about Anthony Agogo going 10 minutes. Um, you could argue if... Like, I, I, I don't know if, you know, beating Cody was necessarily the outcome I would have gone here. Like... Anthony Agogo is a tremendous talent. He's probably going to mature into a great performer. Um, he's not ready for this this level um, at this point in his career. Like, going over Cody, what's the next step then? It's true. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, you could have had maybe three-minute match here. Agogo punches Cody, and then it's a, you know, KO. But, but you're right. Like, but then you also ask, like, why do this at all? Well, why put him in this match at all? You know, you're you're trying to create new stars, but at the same time, I mean, like here here's well, a guy like can he go? 
four matches. It's like you have to be somewhat realistic here. And listen, for where he is, it like that should be applauded. Like he, it was a very good performance by that standard. But again, people are looking at this on the pay per view. Like this is probably people's weakest match on the show, or at least one or one or two at, at the bottom. Let's finish things off here with Shane McDonough, who says, "Mean, this was such a strong show." Final three matches especially. The only weak match was the Cody one, and I'm hoping that feud is over. Going into tonight, I thought for sure the pinnacle was winning Stadium Stampede, but once the match started, it became clear that it would be a sour ending for the crowd. I'm really glad they went with the feel-good ending instead. I've not been invested in the, in the pinnacle at all, and I'm honestly wondering where they go from here. Rubber match? You would have to think, right, John? I think you're going to get some, like, I, I wouldn't do a big group versus group match again so quickly. I think you, you kind of split everybody off now. And I, I am very curious where Sammy Guevara goes, like, out of this. Like, you know, everyone's got their dance partner, but, you know, Guevara and Sean Spears, I do not see that being a program coming out of this. I think Sammy Guevara, he should be positioned for something big. Like, maybe he goes off and... Uh, d- does whatever, but he was clearly positioned to be the big breakout star in this match. Like that was like the big visual at the end was him winning it for the team. So I I think you have a lot of options, and I would imagine with this story, I'm sure it's been plotted out of where they're going. Rory in the chat is suggesting Sammy for the TNT title. How about Sammy versus Miro? Sure, yeah, you could you could go in that way. I mean, you're just starting with Miro. I wouldn't do that immediately. There's there's other directions you can go to with with Guevara. You could you could get him back into the the tag division if if you wanted to go that way. But I mean tonight it really seemed like you are giving a concerted effort to establish Sammy Guevara as a singles babyface. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there we go. That is double or nothing. Uh, I want to thank everyone for tuning in live tonight. It seemed to be a, a pretty uh, strong reviewed pay per view that people enjoyed. Uh, We're going to be back in, well, less than 24 hours' time. We will be live for our Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso Patrons Monday night at 11.15 Eastern, right after Raw, the debut of Jimmy Smith as the new voice of the show. I had totally forgotten. Wow. Wow. Brand new voice. So that will probably be the most interesting part of Raw. They have actually announced quite a bit of stuff. They announced Drew McIntyre and Kofi Kingston. Uh, AJ Styles and Omos will finally defend the tag titles against Elias and Jackson Riker. Randy Orton versus Xavier Woods. And Miz TV awesome. with Charlotte and Rhea Ripley. It's a bit of a come down, I have to say, John. Are you but, excited? Um, y'all, you know, I'm sure there will be plenty to talk about uh, either way. So please join us for that. Uh, of course, live for double double plus patrons. But as always, free for everybody else afterwards. Uh, on top of that, John, I wanted to point everybody's attention to our latest post-movie review, The Descendant. Oh, man, I keep screwing that up. The Dissident. <laughs> and, because this Tuesday we have, we're scheduled to have a, 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 an interview with uh, director Brian Fogel talking about his documentary. I've also been alerted that just now, or some some time ago, re- re- very recently. The Dissident is available on Amazon Prime Video for only 99 cents. So if you're curious about the documentary, uh, I highly encourage you to check it out, watch it, and leave some feedback if you have a question for Brian before Tuesday. You can do that, and the whole schedule for the coming week will be up Monday morning at postwrestling.com. Thanks to everybody for tuning in, and that is going to wrap it up. Goodbye.